this podcast now boasts its own Patreon page. Become a patron and join us in being a node to help spread awareness and hope. Details at patreon.com slash having a cuppa. Hello again, everyone, and happy Friday. As is routine of this show, recorded in the Mountain Valley inside the cathedral, it's time for another dollop of having a cuppa. A very special one indeed. Christine Erico is my guest this week. Much like famed character actor extraordinaire, Christine was born with a cleft lip and palate. Thankfully, due to corrective surgery, the problem was indeed fixed. But what about the internal problems that arose because of it? Christine gets down and deep talking about the deficiencies that she had to grow up with and contend with and how she overturned it to become a cleft coach. A cleft confidence coach, to be exact, coaching many people with similar instances to embrace confidence in themselves. She is so confident, in fact, that she took to the stage as TEDx speaker to raise awareness about the situation. A very insightful conversation indeed. Let's get down to it. Cleft confidence coach Christine Erico. Hmm, that rhymes. Be prepared. This is Having a Cuppa. Get ready for the show. A cup of your finest brew, thanks, love. Cheers, you're a gem. and round we go where we stop nobody knows best get to it then Chris Snell. I've been involved in the media industry for almost 10 years. But what interests me most is the triumph of the human spirit. So off I go to parts unknown. This is the journey. will lead us to the truths of the heart, taking us to destinations far and wide. From the US, the neighbors to the north, the UK, and everywhere else in the fray. Join me, 
sit back for the ride. Good tidings we bring. We're having a cuppa. Christine, what an honor. I've read about your biography. You've had a story career and thank you for coming onto the podcast. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, as I'm excited, tell me a little bit about your backstory. You and Stacy Keach have something in common. Your Both your stories would ultimately become your testimony and you both actively launched charitable endeavors to bring light to this. What is it exactly? Absolutely. Well, I was born with a bilateral cleft lip and palate, and what that means is that my upper lip didn't properly form, and that created a gap for my lip that extended into my palate and my nose. So I had more than three surgeries throughout my life, with my first surgery being when I was two months old, and my last surgery being when I was 27. Uh, and like, you know, you mentioned Chris, Stacey Keach also has a cleft lip, as well as many other famous people. Um, mm. So as a result of having my surgeries and um, I, it was a very difficult life growing up. It was full of challenges, not only with their surgeries, there was dental visits. There was a lot of bullying in school. My teachers told really? me I would never amount to anything. Um, and as a result, I was in denial about having a cleft lip and palate and I pretended I was normal. It wasn't until about five years ago that I finally started to accept my cleft and realize that I have it and start to work through the shame and improve my self-confidence around it. And that's when I became involved working with Smile Train as a volunteer to help them strengthen their global communications, help them build the cleft community. And that also led me into being an advocate for the cleft community and ultimately a confidence and transformation coach where I help other people with cleft lip and palate improve their confidence, overcome shame, social anxiety, and become a better person. Can I ask, because I'm an outsider after all, (laughs) how is it that the, help me write with the condition again, for fear that I might mispronounce it, it's a cleft lip and a misformed palate, right? Yes, a cleft lip and palate. So the palate is also open instead of being solid. uh, When I was born, my palate was wide open. creating the gap that went up into my nose and my airway. So I had surgery to close the Oh, I see. And are there potential health risks associated if it's untreated? Oh, absolutely. As a baby, I couldn't nurse or be bottle fed because I couldn't make the proper suction. Food and drink would come out my nose. Um, I couldn't talk. My teeth wouldn't have formed. So an untreated cleft lip and palate has very serious ramifications. And actually, as part of my work with Smile Train, uh, they go and they perform surgeries for even adults who have an untreated cleft. And to hear the stories of how 
their quality of life improved once they had the club surgery is phenomenal. Uh, and even now as an adult, I still have some things I can't blow up a balloon. I have trouble drinking through a straw. Um, when I get colds, it's much more difficult than a regular person that doesn't have any um, cleft issues. So yeah, untreated, it's very serious ramifications. I think in many ways, I'm familiar with the term, you know, in the sense that it has been explained that it is a misformed lip and palate. Mm -hmm. But what angers me is the fact that people don't discuss like what you have just mentioned, the full ramifications of something like that. Now, we've discussed now the potential health risks if left untreated. You mentioned that you were born one open, you couldn't be nursed, etc., etc., etc. Let's talk about social anxiety. I'm sure that you must have been teased a lot as a child with regards to having a, let's put it in inverted commas, speech impediment. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it must have been one hell of a knock, excuse my French, that, <laughs> you know, you had the surgical scars on your face and then mm -hmm. um, being made, given the impression that you are an alien, if I could use that for shorthand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so I was bullied endlessly from my, as early as I can remember in school, all the way through high school, and even at times throughout college, I was bullied. I was called names like monkey face. Kids said things to me like my mother got kicked in the stomach while she was pregnant. Uh, another kid asked if I got kicked in the face by a horse. I was called a monster. I was called everything you can imagine that the hurtful names kids can come up with, they, they threw them at me. And so I learned to basically just ignore it and shut down, which was not really the proper response, but it was the only defense I knew uh, was to just ignore it. But as a result, that created incredible social anxiety for me, which Naturally. I didn't realize until I was in my late 40s, because I thought I was normal. My mother kept telling me I was normal. So as a result, I thought, you know, everything was fine. But what I realized was the social anxiety was in incredible. I was afraid of being rejected. So I did whatever I had to the fit in. That meant compromising myself. It meant really not knowing who I was. I went mm. along with the crowd because I just wanted to be part of something bigger. Be um, accepted. Exactly, be accepted, because I always felt so rejected and I felt like I wasn't accepted. I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. It got a little bit better when I was in high school. I still had one or two other friends, but they, I was never part of the popular crowd. So that also compounded my social anxiety. The feelings of shame, worthlessness, being told by my teachers that I would never amount to anything. It all just I've heard that before. perfect storm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was very difficult. You use the words perfect storm, and please understand in the context of what I'm going to say next. Mm -hmm. You know, it's quite surprising how people with physical deficiencies, because what you had is not a disability, it's just a, it's just a deficiency, mm -hmm. um, a correctable deficiency. Adults of the yesteryear, I have a little bit of contempt for, and here's why. They have tended to look at this generation with some manner of contempt. You know, you don't know what it's like having grown up in the old days. When I was your age, we would work in the farms. When I was your age, I would walk to school, blah, 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 blah. But they don't mind their words. I can relate to you in the sense of teachers having told me I wouldn't amount to anything, although it wasn't necessarily a teacher, it was a counselor, a school counselor, a psychologist, 
who said I was going to end up as a vegetable because I was initially diagnosed with high-grade ADD. But I'm not ADD. I have mild form of autism, which is Asperger's syndrome. Mm -hmm. The positive is, look where you and I are now. We have more visibility. We have more compassion towards people who have the same had the same plight as what you and I have had. Stacy mm -hmm. Keach, I would like to bring up again, is today known as one of the best Shakespearean actors all around, mm -hmm. and a voice bar none. So. If there's one thing that I would like the audience to take away from this podcast is the fact that words can be weapons, but we don't have to accept them. We can block them out completely. And that's what you have done. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. And what I've learned over the years of working on myself and self-improvement is that not only can we block out the words, we don't have to hold on to them. We don't have to let them take root in our minds. Yes, they can be hurtful, but if we realize that we are not our thoughts and we are not what people tell us we are, but rather what we know to be true in our hearts and in our soul, that will overcome anything that anybody tells us about ourselves. And that's all that really matters is what we believe within ourselves, but we don't have to believe what people tell us. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. Tell me about how you got involved in coaching and uh, did you start your own practice or did you license it with someone? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So as part of my advocacy work with Smile Train, I started becoming more and more involved in the craft community. And when I realized that there was a need for coaching to help people build their self-confidence, build their self-esteem, so much focus is given on the physical aspects of repairing the cleft lip and improving the physical side of it, but there is no real support, minimal support for the emotional and the psychological side. Mm. Uh, growing mm. up, I never had uh, psychological support. Uh, the focus on mental health wasn't as prevalent as it is today. But also, nobody really understood what it was like to grow up with a facial difference and to feel what I was feeling on a regular basis. So I didn't have that support that I needed. And when I got older and even as an adult, when I started becoming more involved in the community, I realized a lot of other people felt the same way. And I says, I can share what I've learned and what I've realized about myself and the tips that I've applied to myself with other people to help them reduce their suffering and help them overcome the obstacles that I've endured of social anxiety and the self-shame and the lack of confidence. So I decided to kind of apply what I've known from a 10 years, 10 plus years of being a teacher to being a coach because they are kind of similar to teach people. Of course. But also to give myself because I love helping people. So to give myself and to connect with other people who were in the same boat, who want to improve their confidence, who want to feel better. So I went through the training to become a certified coach and I actually started my own business about a year ago, um, helping others, working with other club defendant adults, anyone who has a facial difference, just anyone who wants to improve their confidence, overcome social anxiety, overcome that sense of self-shame and feel better mm. about themselves. Just on, on that note, out of curiosity, do you also, you mentioned you work with people with other facial deficiencies. Would that mm -hmm. perhaps even include those who have suffered severe stroke? 
Absolutely, yes. Um, I also part of. I have a lot of friends through Facebook who have what's called Mobius syndrome, where part of their face is paralyzed due to the nerve not being properly formed or missing when they were born. So it's similar to people who do have a stroke where they have partial facial paralysis. So yes, I work with anybody who has a facial difference who wants to kind of learn how to live with it and accept it. That's my main goal is to help them come that get to that point of acceptance. Hmm. Another question that I have of curiosity, and we are ping-ponging between the past and the present. Through the training that you've done with Smile Train, I'm assuming you work with people who come from the medical profession, um, surgeons, and doctors, medical doctors, and the like. Mm-hmm. What exactly is the cause? Because you have to be born with a cleft lip and palate. But mm-hmm. what exactly is the deficiency that causes that condition in the womb when the baby is formed? And that's a really great question. There is no known cause right now for a cleft lip and palate. Some of the factors, uh, it is known that certain medications, such as the ones used for migraines or epilepsy, does cause cleft lip and palate. Um, a lack of folic acid from the mother can contribute. It could be genetics, it, you know, hereditary. And it could also be environmental. But I mean, I know friends, for example, I have a cleft lip and palate. I have a younger sister. She's unaffected. My parents, my grandparents, uh, cousins, aunts, uncles, they're all unaffected. Um, mm-hmm. And then I know some people who their father had a cleft lip and palate. Their father had one and then they had uh, a couple of babies. And the first baby was fine. The second baby had a cleft. So it's so difficult to exactly predict mm. or pinpoint any one thing. Uh, but the good thing is that it can be detected by ultrasound at about the 12 to 14 week mark. So doctors can prepare the mother. They can start building that team of specialists that they will need, plastic uh, surgeons, um, oral facial uh, surgeons, doctors, uh, specialists, uh, dentists, and at least prepare the mother so that they know what to expect as well. And uh, a part two on that, mm-hmm. is there a risk, well, let me rephrase, I was still forming the question in my head and I'm afraid that was going to come out wrong initially. What I meant to ask was is, when the diagnosis is given that a baby is expected to be born with a cleft, palate and lip, uh, cleft lip and palate, um, will there be a significant risk, let's say if the baby was month to two month old to undergo surgery or would they would have to wait until the jaws properly form maybe say up to a year two years for them to have corrective surgery mm-hmm. that's a really great question actually the earlier that they can perform the corrective measures the better when i was born my first surgery was at two months old to start to close the lips so at least i could nurse and be fed even though i couldn't drink i, I was able to drink through a bottle once they had the surgery but it was still really difficult because the milk and the formula would come from my nose. Now, with the advancements of medical technology, the first surgery is usually done a little bit later than two months, but what they do is immediately after the baby is born, they use what's called a NAM taping, which is a nasal alveolar method of taping where they actually tape the lip together. Uh, because the skin is so pliable and still forming, by taping it together, it reduces the gap that the surgeons would actually have to close through surgery Uh and i've seen through you know mothers that have had newborns where they do the taping and about three or four months later 
the gap is so small that the surgery is minimal and the scars are minimal. That's great. Um, and, and it helps promote the healthy growth of the upper jaw and the upper bone, although they're still, most of the time there is no bone there because of the gap. And that was the case with me. I didn't have any upper jaw bone um, in the front. I had in the back, so my upper teeth never uh, fully formed. As right. a result, I needed two bone grafts in my life, one when I was six and one when I was in my late 20s. Sure. And through your work with Smile Train, do you help people who have had that um, that surgery, you know, with self-confidence, with their diction? How about do you go with regards to mm-hmm. that? Well, my work with Smile Train is I'm a member of their Cleft Community Advisory Council, which is the committee that they created to help strengthen the global communications in the United States and improve the Cleft community. So as a mm-hmm. member of that community, I make sure that their message is that it's going to be clear and understandable, that it's uh, acceptable to the community, that it's going to get the message across. I help strengthen the community. I participate in their annual conferences. And as a result, I had the opportunity to travel to Kenya and Colombia to witness the work that they do in those countries and to see the people that have actually benefited from the surgeries that they perform in those countries. And you know what? It's very heartwarming to hear that because, uh, you know, I've said this before with regards to another subject matter. I began this podcast originally with regards to bringing awareness to drug usage, uh, sobriety, mental health stigma and the like. And the one common factor is society needs a huge overall when it comes to awareness as a whole, because Mm -hmm. sadly, they think of being a square peg in a round hole, if you understand that expression. Mm -hmm. But it's not always as clear as night is from day. And that's why it's wonderful to hear of these um, developments that are being made, because these don't happen to make the news. Right. And they should, to tell you Mm -hmm. the honest truth. Now, not only have you been doing a lot of outreach for the cleft community, you also had the opportunity to talk on stage at TEDx. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. In March of this year, I gave a TED talk And my main goal and the purpose of that talk was to expand awareness and educate the community, just like you said, about Cleft Lip and Palette. The one thing that I find most, I guess, frustrating is that the incidence of Cleft Lip and Palette is one in 700 babies worldwide. That's the same statistics as Down syndrome. Everybody has heard of Down syndrome. Even if you meet children in the schoolyard and they can recognize someone who has Down syndrome, adults, everybody knows generally what Down syndrome means. Mm. But there's been so many people I met that never really heard of a cleft lip and palate, or if they did hear of it, they don't realize the lifelong impact that it has. They think it's, you were born with, you know, this birth difference, you had some surgeries and everything is fine and dandy and, and life is normal. And I mm. couldn't be farther from the truth. So I as can part imagine. Of my, yeah, and, and, and it gets a little frustrating at times. So as part of my TED talk, I, I, I talked about growing up with a cleft lip and palate, what it was like, uh, briefly discussed, like I just said, what it is, what it means. And I talked about my trip to Kenya and what that was like and, and being able to connect with people across the world in another country, but who we also had shared experiences with and similar goals. And to see someone else with a cleft, that was probably one of the most in, inspiring and touching moments of my life 
was to meet someone in another country and see what how they live and challenges that they have, which were similar yet different from mine. You know, uh, countries like Kenya did not don't, don't have the medical technology that we have in the United States. Naturally, they're a third world country. Mm-hmm, exactly, which is why Smile Train helps train the doctors over there so that they can perform those surgeries. And to, even when I went to Colombia, the same thing. I met some families and some babies who were going to have surgery who traveled hours to get the surgery and how life-changing it is for them. And uh, quickly on the TEDx again, you wouldn't happen to have crossed paths with one Frank King, would you? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. <laughs> but you are familiar with the name? Yes, I am. <laughs> I just thought maybe he, because he's a TEDx coach as well. Yes. So I thought maybe perhaps he helped you prepare. How did you go about preparing? Did you just basically write your own speech and speak off the cuff or did you have people helping you prep? That's a great question and, and a question that I often get asked a lot. Uh, talking on the TEDx stage, believe it or not, was a lifelong goal of mine for about 20 years, ever since I saw my first TED talk on YouTube. Um, and I actually don't remember what my first one was, I've seen so many of them. But I thought, how cool would it be to get up on the stage and talk about something I'm passionate about? But the irony is, at the time, I never thought I would be talking about such a vulnerable and personal topic as growing up with a cleft with a palate. I thought I would mm-hmm. talk about maybe a teaching method I use or what it was like as a teacher, uh, but never cleft with a palate. As I progressed through my advocacy work, um, I decided, okay, you know, now's the time. I want to get the word out. I want to educate the public. I was feeling frustrated that there was so little public knowledge about Clefab. So I just started applying to a couple of different uh, TEDx conferences in my area. It actually took me three tries before I got accepted. So it wasn't, you know, I tried, tried, tried again. Yes, absolutely. Once I was accepted, it was a six month process of writing refining, writing again. I was assigned a speaker coach from the local conference. They had a team of coaches and that they, I was assigned to one. And we worked together to rewrite uh, the talk and to refine it and to get it within the 15 minute time limit and to learn how to just get the message across succinctly. It was probably one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life. And, I can and imagine, right, it took me for 15 <laughs> minutes straight. Geez, I can barely keep five minutes when I was on radio. (laughs) But 15 minutes? Gee whiz. Yes. And that's where a lot of the effort, once I had everything written, then because you're not allowed to really use notes or rely on the slides, because if you watch my video, I'm not able to see the slides. So then I had to memorize the talk. But I had to memorize it in such a way that it didn't look like I had it memorized. <laughs> and that was about another two and a half months of just nonstop rehearsing, memorizing, videoing Wait. myself, sharing it with my coach, back and forth, and uh, sometimes refining again little words here and there that didn't sound right. And I remember it became a daily routine for me. I would get up in the morning and while I'm getting dressed, start memorizing, rehearsing my speech in my head, driving the car, making dinner. I just was nonstop. And then anybody who would listen, I would say, hey, you want to hear my speech? And just start doing it. But the hard work. That's resilience. Yes, it definitely is. But the moment that you walked up on that stage, were you, (sighs) did you have butterflies in the stomach or 
you know, in the beginning when you walked up on stage and then the next moment when you started with your talk, you were so well rehearsed, it started just flowing out of you in such a chronological fashion. How did it go? The moment I, backstage, I was a nervous wreck. I was actually the first one to speak uh, on the day of the conference, which I was very relieved of. Uh, so I didn't have the, too much time to build the anxiety, but I was a nervous wreck. I, I, I was ready to back down and I was ready to say, you know, I can't do this and I quit, but I'm not a quitter at anything. And I knew if I did that, I would regret it for the rest of my life. So the stage manager was wonderful. She told me to do the superhero pose, which is like Superman, where you put your hands on your hips and you feel empowered. And she said, you got this, trust your practice, trust your, you know, all the work that you've done, it'll be fine. And I want that on stage. And I remember thinking, okay, just, you know, remember that you practice it. And the funny part is that my father was in the audience and he was right there in the front row and I can see him. And I knew if I made eye contact with him, I would get overly emotional and forget everything. So I kept doing the old, you know, uh, theater trick of finding a point just over the heads of the audiences. Clever, and clever. That and just pretending I was in my backyard rehearsing to my dog and not in front of, you know, a couple of hundred people. And it went off, it went off smoothly. I can't say it went off without a hitch. Of course, nothing is perfect. And there were maybe a line or two that I missed, but it was, it went off as best as I could expect it. And I was so proud of myself. And when I got off that stage, I just fell apart into a pool of emotion and tears and a generation and everything. Like I couldn't believe what I had just done. Well, you know what? Be comfortable getting uncomfortable because the moment that you've done something that just scares the living daylights out of you, you know you've done something right. Then mm -hmm. you feel alive, you know. I can imagine, you know, walking off of the stage and you can feel your heart beating through your veins at 2,300 <laughs> revs per minute. Absolutely. But uh, you, in fact, mastered a trick that is actually used in theater. Michael Caine. Sir Michael Caine spoke in an mm -hmm. interview once that whenever he was filming and he had to do a, a dialogue with someone, as I'm looking at you right now, I always choose one eye that you're looking with me at, because then you have my undivided attention. And I found out this is the perfect way of communicating. And with you having done that pretty much almost by instinct, mm -hmm. that takes months, weeks, months to master. So kudos on you for basically pulling that rabbit out of the hat. Now Thank tell me, Christine, what has the feedback been since you've done that TEDx? Oh, the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, I've gotten messages from people that have just been so inspired by my talk to hear me, to hear what I've been through and to know that, it, you know, I, I survived. It moves them and inspires them that they can do the same thing that they can survive that they can push through anything. Um, I've gotten messages from people who learned a little bit more about Cleft and Palette that they were not aware of. Uh, it helped increase the community and it helped bring the community together. People realize that, you know, we're not alone. Um, when I was, part of my research when I was doing my talk was to find other TED Talks about Cleft and Palette. And there was only one other talk by someone who has a Cleft Lip, but her talk was focused on the power of one person and how that one person helped shape her life. And she did talk a little bit about Clefland and Palette, but she had a different, slightly different angle. And ironically, um, her name is Amy. 
And she became a great friend and a mentor to me. When I was applying for my TED Talk, she helped me with my application. We actually know each other. We worked together with Smile Train for a period of time. But I was really surprised that there weren't more videos. So the, the response and the uh, feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. It's been supportive, encouraging. And I think it's really helped move the needle a little bit further toward awareness and education about cleft and habit. Something I would like to suggest, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying this for Dinkum at all, but maybe you should perhaps consider doing another one, let's say maybe a year from now, and do like a part two on your part one that you originally did. Because there's always better reinforcing that message. You know, you've presented the positive message initially, as you quite rightly said, you are the second person to have spoken on being affected by cleft lip and palate. And your talk specifically was on the subject of the deficiency. Hers Mm -hmm. was now just a little bit different. Now take it a step further. Now take it a step further and see what the audience reaction then will be. And, you know, I've listened to you throughout the half an hour that you and I have been talking. You're so eloquent. You're so knowledgeable. And naturally, of course, with the condition that you have, you have a lisp, which I've heard some of my friends who Mm -hmm. I've worked with who have had corrective surgery for cleft lip and palate. But I mean, the deficiency is literally far and few between noticeable. Mm -hmm. I think perhaps you should consider doing what you and I are doing right now, hosting a podcast of your own. Thank you. Uh, Everything that you've mentioned are ultimate goals of mine. I would love to give another TED Talk despite the amount of work that it is. And it was about nine months of hard work. It was so worth it. I recommend anyone who wants to do one to pursue your dream and do one. Uh, Yes, and I, I, I would love to give another one. I found through giving the TED Talk that I actually have a love of public speaking, which... You're talented. Look at how you're <laughs> acting right now. Well, I, I mean, you have a teaching background, so that should be part and parcel of it. The, the irony is, is that growing up, I I never wanted, I never talked about my class love. I was so ashamed of it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want anybody to know about it. And I remember the very first day I started teaching and I walked into the classroom because I started my teaching career with online teaching, behind the screen, no video. And then I moved into teaching in the classroom. I walked in that classroom, I was incredibly nervous. I remember thinking, what are the students gonna think of me? It brought back memories of being in school, the children making fun of me. And I had to remind myself, I'm the teacher. I, I can throw down the hammer here. And it was nerve-wracking, but I pushed through it until the next challenge when the students asked me if I could record my lectures for playback later or if they were absent. And that was the first time I saw myself on camera and I had to edit my videos. And it was another obstacle to overcome, not only hearing (laughs) myself on video, but seeing myself on video, how I talk. And I remember the first time thinking, oh my God, I look like that. I was so disgusted and ashamed and humiliated and when I told a friend of mine they said the words that still ring true to me today they said well yeah but you look like that to everyone and we've all accepted you and we've all loved you so it's just the way you are and there's nothing wrong with it and when she told me that I realized yeah it's again all in my head my thoughts and how I perceive myself but nobody else perceives me that way so yes I love 
public speaking, um, and that's why I'm doing this podcast and other podcasts. And I would ultimately love my goal is to go ahead and, and have my own podcast and continue educating about Cleflop and Palette. So keep an eye out. You never know what's going to come. Well, you know what? I have to address the audience. They can't see it because ultimately this is going to be audio. But this woman has the most beautiful smile that I've ever seen on a woman. And I don't say that for Dinkum. But not only are you smiling. Have you ever heard the expression that if someone smiles, their eyes smile as well? Yes, I have. Yours do exactly the same. As we start to round off Christine, Mm -hmm. I've been very careful on the questions that I've asked. But I have to ask this. You've been through a hard time because the only actual prisoner that you thought existed was the one that was existing in your mind, as you quite rightly said. And you've had drama, to put it lightly, since you've had your corrective surgeries going from to and fro. But if you look at what you have been through in the yesteryear and you look where you are now and all that you have accomplished, what has it done to your self-image? In a positive manner, I'm referring to. Wow, it's it, it's actually made me realize who I am as a person, and made me a thousand percent more accepting of myself, and helped me to love myself. I still have my moments of self doubt and thinking I can't do this, and feeling that shame. But it doesn't last, and it doesn't stick as long as it used to, and it doesn't take me down as much as it used to. And the, the interesting part, it's really only been within the last four or five years. I mean, I, um, I'm not ashamed to admit I'm 52. I just turned 52 about a couple of weeks ago. And it wasn't until I was in my late 40s that I really started on this path of self-acceptance, uh, building my self-confidence, and the advocacy work. And in just those four or five years, to undo 40-something years of shame and disgust about myself to where I am now. It's like, I I know that I'm a completely different person. I feel so much more empowered, so much more confident. My social anxiety has been reduced. It's still still there, but I'm more aware of it now. And because I'm more aware of it, I can manage it better. I'm no longer afraid of going out in public. And if I may, there's a quick little story I'd like to tell. I actually shared it on Instagram, but for your audience, about a year and a half ago, I was walking a friend's dog and I was leaving their house after I put the dog back inside and I was leaving their house. And I tripped over their pavers in their front yard. I fell face first and I, of course, am so nervous about hitting my nose in my mouth. And fortunately, the way I landed on the pavers, I scraped up my forehead. It was a pretty big scrape, just like when you fall up the back and scrape your knee it was on my forehead. It was bloody, it was painful. I remember sitting in my car, because I had a bunch of errands to run that day, looking at the, the scrape on my forehead, which had since stopped bleeding, but it was pretty nasty looking, <laughs> thinking, I can't go out in public like this. I, I look like a monster. I'm horrible. I felt so ashamed. I felt so disgusting. And as I'm sitting there bawling my eyes out, I thought to myself, wait a minute. You've lived 48 years with scars on your face and that never bothered you before. You're going to let a little scrape on your forehead stop you from going to the grocery store or going out to the gym the next day? You know, what are you thinking? So I dried my tears. I blotted the the scrape, made sure it wasn't bleeding anymore. And 
drove over to the grocery store and bought them that shoe. And again, it ain't been people looking at me and wondering what happened, but I figured as long as I'm not actively bleeding, I was, I was fine. And it was that moment of real empowerment where I realized that it's okay how I look because it doesn't define who I am. It doesn't define my heart, my soul, and what I do in life. And if you know anybody has a problem with it, that's on them because there's always true acceptance. So that was another moment that was just a big step forward in my journey to self-acceptance and self-improvement. Well, you know what? It's paying off in spades. And Christine, when people are hearing this and they've, I'm sure, taken a lot out of this conversation and um, the work that you do, where can they get a hold of you? Absolutely. So you can find me on the internet. Uh, my website is christineerico.com. I'm also on Facebook coachchristineerico.com or on Instagram at christine underscore erico. Um, and I love to hear from other members. Uh, I love to talk to people. So feel free to send me a message. I'll be happy to respond and chat with you and connect with you. And Christine, from the bottom of our hearts, and I'm speaking for the voiceless here, thank you for the unquestionable and undeniably passionate work that you've done. You've come evidently very far in what it is that you have been doing and you know what you're more than welcome to come back on the show anytime you've not only made a new acquaintance you've made a new friend and well done god bless you thank you, so, thank you so much chris i really appreciate you having me and i might definitely take you up on an invitation So it is here where we have to make a pit stop, but don't fret, we'll be back soon. In the meantime, tell your friends, join us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and Podcast One. Until we see you again, this was Having a Cuppa for the Week. See you soon.